listening to the Red Seat Podcast. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Featuring Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood. Sale winds. He fires. Swing and a miss. Back play. It's over. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Bob Osgood of Over the Monster and special guest, Eric Cross. Uh, If you haven't heard Eric Cross on here before, um, you know, you're probably not a super long time listener because he has appeared on this podcast before. Uh, Eric is known for writing about Dynasty and Prospects for FTN Fantasy, Rotoballer. He also has the Toolshed podcast. He's the founder of Toolshed Fantasy, and he is the 2021 FSWA Baseball Writer of the Year. Eric Cross, how are you, my friend? Yeah. What's what's going on, gentlemen? Jake, I, especially for you, I'm drinking my coffee milk, You know our, <laughs> our connection there from our, our podcast back in the day. Figured it was an appropriate beverage to be drinking on this podcast, and yeah, thanks for having me on. Let's have some fun with it. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on. Uh, Eric and I were on the uh, Five Tool Fantasy Baseball podcast for a while over there at Fantrax, so you know, great times back there. But Eric actually reached out to me. We always talk about the Red Sox together, uh, as Eric is a Red Sox fan aside from his fantasy work, and uh, he had some things to to vent about. On this podcast, <laughs> believe it or not. And I said, you know what? Uh, let's get you on here to talk about some of those things. So uh, just as a, a little preface for this, we're going to have uh, some discussion of how the Red Sox season has turned for the worse. Uh, and then we're going we're gonna to have some positivity at the end of the show with Eric talking about the state of the farm system. Uh, as always, if you want to email some question, questions to the show, you can do so at redseatpodcast at gmail.com. We got a few emails this week. We'll address those, answer those questions as well. And then you can always uh, send us questions on Twitter, which I will never call X because that's stupid. Uh, this is episode 291 of the show, and we are going to start off with Eric just giving us a you know, state of the Red Sox. How are you feeling, man, as a fan of this team? I know that you pay attention to all of baseball. You always fill fill our uh, Twitter feeds with great content there. But how are you feeling about the hometown boys? It's an X feed, Jake. Get it right. You got you got to call it the X feed now. But man, I you know like I've, like I've been telling you know, talking with some of my friends. You know, you know I think we're all roughly the same age here on on this podcast right now. And I I didn't live through the you know the really down days. You know like. You know, they broke the curse. I was in high school. So it's, uh, I'm not used to this team being so bad for so long. And yeah, we've had some, you know, obviously we've had some down seasons, you know, in between all the championships. Obviously, you know, Bobby Valentine here immediately stands out, obviously. But it's getting pretty frustrating, you know. And, you know, obviously you change regime, go from Dombrowski over to Heim Bloom. And, you know, there was a lot of good things said about Bloom. Obviously, Tampa Bay, everything, everybody always is optimistic about anybody that comes out of that system, um, especially after, you know, what Friedman's done with the Dodgers. So, like, all right, let's give him some time here. But we're now nearly, what, uh, about roughly four years 
into the Heim Bloom tenure. And good chance, you know, between us and the Yankees, maybe a third last place finish here in the four years he's been at the helm. Yeah, one of those was the shortened 2020 season, but it's just frustrating, man. Like, you look, you look at the standings, and Red Sox and Yankees are by far the bottom two teams in the AL East right now. Baltimore, Tampa, and Toronto are running away with it. And just to see back-to-back deadlines where, I mean, last year was a little different. We were, like, a bit further out of it last year. But just to kind of just stand pat and not do much of anything, like, we well, okay, we got Luis Urias. Okay, fine. But, like, that was the move you did? And we're just banking on Trevor Story and Chris Sale and Hauk and, and Witty just to come back and stay healthy for one and be high-impact players? Like, is that what they're banking on now? So just the, the lack of... Almost like there's like a lack of direction with with this team. Like they don't know where they want to go. It's just really frustrating. If if you could see the light at the end of the tunnel, that'd be one thing. Like, all right, I see where they're going, and okay, that makes it a little bit easier to to deal with. But I don't see that light at the end of the tunnel right now. We're we're in the dark depths of the tunnel, and I don't know when we're coming out of it. It's almost like that scene in uh, if anybody's ever watched that movie, The Perfect Storm. With George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, great movie. First off, but of course, great yeah. Massachusetts movie, absolutely. Based out of Gloucester, yeah. Yeah, so everyone listening to the pod, this podcast, should good book see. too. Oh, I've never read the book. I got to read that though. It's, but it's uh, a great book. Yeah, it's like we're in the middle of that storm, and it's like you think there's that light, and that when they get like the eye of the storm, and this is right back into the storm. So it's just frustrating, man. Like I'm, try- I try to remain positive, and people think I'm just like some disgruntled fan and you know i'm always grouchy but like i want this team to do well i mean i i think everyone everyone listening wants this team to do well it's just i want somebody at the helm that i feel comfortable in leading this team back to where it belongs so i'm just frustrated i'm angry and i just i'm ready for like that next like everyone's like oh just wait for it just wait for it how long are we waiting for it jake like that's my question well i think what you're expressing right there is what kind of we're all feeling right is that we care so much about this team that it's really tough for us to see it run in the way that it's being run in the direction that it's being run because there's just been so many missed opportunities here from high bloom um, to just show a little bit of aggression to just show a little bit of direction one way or the other and and aggression doesn't necessarily mean adding to the team it could also mean being very convicted about, you know, selling and, and building towards the future. But what we're seeing is just this like really tepid response from Bloom in all of these situations where he has to make a decision, where he's just choosing not to make the decision. We see that all the time with not only the roster moves, but with roster decisions that are always put off to the last minute as well. It's just like Decision-making seems to be a really big issue for him, and I think that's the hardest thing for me is just watching him kind of operate with uh, rudderless direction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, is for sure. Eric, I was going to ask you, you know, if, if there was a specific move, you know, let's say a week before the deadline or a player that moved leading up to the deadline that you think that they um, waited too long on or, you, you know, a... a something that you had wanted them to do that they didn't I mean for me it was a few pitchers that moved and a few pitchers that didn't move but um is there anyone that you think that you know if they if they jumped in a day earlier than one of the contenders did would have 
made a big difference. Yeah, I, I think definitely pitching. I mean, obviously I would have liked, liked to see them add maybe a bat or two, but I think pitching was the real need here, and specifically in the rotation. I mean, yeah, we, we have Sale and, and Whitlock and Hout coming back, but again, it's still still like a really risky rotation. I would have loved to have seen them add another arm to it. And I mean, I feel like we could have gone out and gotten – you know, a Scherzer or a Verland or someone like that. Like they are really serious about potentially being a contender this year. And at, at the trade deadline, I think we were just like what a game or a game and a half out uh, of the wild card picture. So definitely right in there. And once you get in, you know anything can happen, as we've seen in the past. So yeah, definitely going out and getting an army. Mean, not necessarily a Jack Flitterty, but like I, I think see, seeing what Houston and Texas. You know, both two teams that are, you know, duking it out for the AL West and two, you know, maybe maybe the top two contenders are along with Tampa Bay and Baltimore in, in the American League this year, going out and getting the arms that they need. You know, obviously Texas, Eovaldi is kind of like a question mark when he comes back. So, like, all right, let's go out and get Max Scherzer, give up Luis Ahal Cunha. I mean, we have the farm system. Like, that's like the one bright spot. The farm system is good. We can, you know, use it. You know, like it seems like he's like right. scared to just like give up anybody from the system, and I don't think those were massive overpays. I guess Houston did give up a lot more than I expected for Verlander, but I feel like we could have gotten a deal done there. So, yeah, I think that's where I was most frustrated that we just didn't do anything. We weren't even in any rumors. It was just so dead quiet for the Sox on, on deadline day. So that was definitely frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. I think you you nailed it right there with you know, all the different reasons why we were frustrated. Bob, it's been a week since we potted last and, uh, you know, we came in pretty hot um, with uh, McCarthy last week. So how are you feeling now with a week removed from all this stuff and, you know, coming off of the disastrous sweep at the hands of the Blue Jays? I know. And the crazy thing is it's only been five days. We recorded on Wednesday and it's Monday. And normally it's, you know, it's only been five days. Do we have enough to talk about today, we have double what we need to talk about today in terms of what's happened since we met and, and had McCarthy on on Wednesday. Um, I guess, you know, I, I don't want to repeat anything or too much from last week, but the first thing that I think of is, you know, I, I wrote an article on Over the Monster three weeks ago that outlined how do we get through the next 30 days and specifically how do we get to the trade deadline. And I put kind of, you know, here are the opponents, here are the pitchers that will go, you know, if you throw everybody on four days rest, you can throw Bayo this many times and Paxson here and Crawford and an opener with Pavetta. And, you know, you only need to have one bullpen game and you can get through the stretch. And they did like they got through all of that. They won series against the Cubs and the Mets and they had a two game sweep with the Braves. And they got to that West Coast trip within three days of the deadline. And what I said was, you know, hopefully this team trades for a veteran starting pitcher within the week, with that being at the end of the All-Star break. But, of course, they'll trade for one by the trade deadline, right? And then to see, you know, I don't, I didn't really think about specific games. It was um, when they were coming back from the West Coast trip. But when I looked at the the kind of the way things were lining up for the Toronto series, I realized they, they've got double bullpen games. They're going to go opener Pavetta, and then they're going to go bullpen game on Sunday, you know, where you could have thrown Bayo on regular rest. And that's when it hit me that it was just your reinforcements in the rotation aren't coming back for another two weeks. And you're going into a Toronto series that was so huge. That's the team that is right in front of you in the standings. And you know where you stand going into that 
because it was two days before that that was the trade deadline. They knew the script. They knew what the rotation was going to be. They had a chance to do something about it, and they did nothing. And we know the rotation and the bullpen specifically have been overworked. And, you know, they the, they got smoked the whole weekend. Um, in addition to that, I mean, we're going to talk about Trevor Story a little bit, but I thought that Trevor Story was going to come back on that Friday. So you had an opportunity to go into a stretch of a couple of weeks where you're not going to have an off day and you get that big bat coming back in story. And if you trade for, and for me, it was, I was fine with a Lance Lynn or a Michael Lorenzen or a Jordan Montgomery, someone in that range that could stabilize the bullpen, get you through these two or the rotation, get you through these two or three weeks. I was even fine with a Paul Blackburn at this point. Sure. (laughs) Anything. Yeah. I mean, Because there's only so many teams you can trade with, especially with the 12 uh, playoff spots now. You know, there was only so many teams that were selling. So, sure, go to Oakland and talk to them about it. Um, You got terrible defense. You got terrible base running all year. So you did nothing to address any of these problems, right? They they just wanted, they ended up, as I said last week, probably 559 when nobody was desperate enough to sell uh, Kyle Schwarber on the IL or um, Eric Hosmer because a, a deal falls apart in San Diego and they had to get rid of him. So there was no one that was desperate enough to give them value. And instead you end up, all right, we'll get a cost-controlled second baseman who may or may not you know, be a major leaguer this year, um, who they ended up bringing up. But it was just... A lot of it didn't hit me until that Toronto series when I saw what was going out there on the mound. And... Um, Instead of its excuses about percentages on fan graphs. And for me, it's like, you know how you can improve those percentages on fan graphs and being the underdog is by going out and supporting your clubhouse and giving them some extra energy going into the biggest series of the year yep. um, against a team that's ahead of you who annually kicks the shit out of you on the week of the trade deadline every year. And they did it again. And, you know. Here we are, nowhere near a playoff spot with multiple teams that have passed them since we last spoke. Yeah, I mean, as I said last week on the podcast, it's difficult to run these teams down without any help. Um, And now the Red Sox playoff percentages sit somewhere around 10% uh, for them to make the playoffs. It's obviously going to be very hard. Um, With this sweep of the Red Sox this past weekend, the hands of the Blue Jays, um, I myself have uh, declared that the Red Sox season is now dead. I don't think that they have any chance, but you know the, the sort of spirit animal of Red Sox Nation, Jared Carabas, had a tweet that sort of summed this up nicely. He said, the 2023 Boston Red Sox death certificate, time of death, 4.26 p.m. Eastern Time on August 6th, cause of death, poor roster construction, Abandoned at the trade deadline in injuries. So my question is, guys, and we're going to start with each of these points, is do you agree with Jared on, first of all, do you think that the season is effectively over at this point after this sweep at the hands of the Blue Jays? And then let's go through each of these points that he makes about roster construction being abandoned at the trade deadline in injuries. Let's start with you, Eric. Do you think that the season is now effectively over for the Red Sox? It is. And I think you could have shortened the uh, the cause of death to just two words, and that's high and bloom. Like he, he, he kind of said that in a fancy way, but 
Yeah, like you mentioned, Jake, like or Bob, I think it might have been Bob that said this. Like, we've had multiple teams pass us. We've had Seattle and the Yankees pass us just since the deadline, which is not even a full week ago at this point. You know, we were a game and a half out, and the next team up, we have the first team out of the wild card. Now we are five games out of the wild card and th- th- the third team out. So it's just, and like, obviously, there's only that. There was that one shot, you know. There was one spot I thought we could get because so obviously, like every other spot, kind of felt locked up. Like obviously, it's gonna be ball, you know, one of the the three big teams in the AL East winning that division, you know. And so you got Tampa Bay probably getting one of them wild cards, and then whoever doesn't win the AL West is getting second wild card between Texas and Houston, and obviously you got Minnesota in the Central. So I'm like, all right, there's like one shot of us getting into the postseason, and that's kind of leapfrogging Toronto, and then you just come out and lay an absolute goose egg there. And it absolutely is because you didn't do anything at the deadline. I mean, this team had a chance. Like, we were we were kind of hanging on, and I'll even admit they exceeded my expectations so far this year. I think I had them as, like, a 77, 78-win team, which I think was, like, right below like what all the Vegas odds are. I think Vegas were, like, 79, 80 wins or something like that. So I, they're ahead of what I thought they were going to be. And, you know, offenses kind of surprised me, too. I'll admit that. But – Given where we were, I'm like, all right, we actually have a chance. Like, we're actually still in this. And then you just do nothing, and you're hoping on all these guys that can't stay healthy. And I've shown that. Like, Woody's had multiple IL stints. We all know about Story. You know, we all know about Sale. And, and Tanner Houck as well. Like, you're, you're banking on guys that have never shown for a long period of time to stay healthy, to come back and stay healthy and be those pieces you need. So, yeah, I, I think – you know, people like to, you know, people love Jared or hate Jared. I, I, I do like Jared. I, th- I think he's a very, you know, insightful baseball mind. You know, people can kind of be rubbed the wrong way by him, but he hit this one out of the park. Like he nailed it, or he had a, a piss missile, as he likes to say there. Yeah, absolutely right. It's because that we didn't go out and do anything when we absolutely should have. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Jared, uh, Jared is 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 a sharp baseball guy, but when it comes to the Red Sox, he definitely knows what's going on. Um, Bob, how do you feel? Do you agree with Jared that they uh, they're dead in the water at this point? No, I mean I wouldn't put my money on them to make the playoffs. I'll tell you that much. Um, but this is a team that won eight straight games in May. Uh, they had a six-game winning streak in June. They had a six-game winning streak in early July. They had a five-game winning streak in late July. And we keep talking about how like no matter where they end up, they just kind of get pulled the other direction. Every time that we've been down on them, they've gone on a winning streak. Every time that we've been high on them, they've gone on a losing streak without fail. They play Kansas City, Detroit, and Washington for 10 games coming up right now, finally getting those reinforcements that we talked about, Story and Sale coming back this week. Um, Again, I wouldn't put my money on it, but you've got 10 seemingly cupcake games coming up, and then you have plenty of games remaining against the teams that are ahead of you in the standings. You play Houston for seven games late in the month. You play New York later in the month. Um, you play Toronto again. Who, believe it or not, they're seven and three against this year, despite what we saw this weekend. So, if you have a full roster and you play all the teams in front of you, and you have two months left, we've seen how quickly they can gain and lose games. And they're again, this this should on paper be a better team. Um, so, I don't think it's over. It's four games in the loss column, which is really the only one to look at when you've got, you know, extra games against the team, you can go out and win those games. Um, am I confident in that? No, but I 
I'm not going to just give up on the season at this point. I think there's a, a lot of games to be played still. Well, one of us needs to stay optimistic, and Keaton's in Australia, so you know what, Bob? I'm, <laughs> I'm happy that you took that side of it. Um, I do agree that after the, the series that they're pretty much cooked, but I want to get into the reasons here. So the first reason that Jared said was roster construction, and this is a point that I agree with absolutely. We've been critical of this pretty much uh, since, you know, even the offseason here. The issues were obvious. They went into the season, and I pulled up the opening day roster of this team just to make sure that my mind wasn't tricking me. But no, Arroyo did start as the second baseman uh, on this team on opening day. Kike was the starting shortstop, and neither of those players are on the team any longer. Kluber was the opening day starter. He's not likely to pitch again for this team the rest of the year. And both Brazier and Ort pitched in that game, which was a precursor to the turnstile of mediocre relievers that this team has been trotting out on a daily basis. And and that's not to say that the back end of the bullpen hasn't been better. It absolutely has. But there's been a lot of guys. We're going to talk about some of them uh, later on in the show. Uh, that have been going on here. So what did I miss? Did I miss anything with the disastrous roster construction to start the year? Well, wait, we got Eric on. Did you mention Adalberto Mondesi? <laughs> <laughs> Eric, what did you think of his contributions this year? I know you've always kind of been in, in Mondesi's corner. I mean, he's absolutely met expectations so far. He, he's. I thought he'd yeah. provide zero, and he's provided zero. So <laughs> you know what? He's met my expectations. I'm sorry, Jake. Continue. <laughs> no, no, that that was a very valuable uh, contribution right there. I'm very happy that uh, we have the Adalberto Mondesi hater. I thought that I hated Adalberto Mondesi, and then I met Eric, and uh, I realized that there was a whole new level in which we could go to. Um, Jake, oh, oh, sorry, before you go, when we traded for Mondesi, I was at work, and I think it was like middle of the day, right? And all of a sudden, my phone is vibrating off its freaking hinges. <laughs> and I'm like, what's wrong? I was like, yeah, I was like, either someone in my family just died, and it's like my mom trying to get a hold of me or something, or something big happened in baseball. And I look, it was multiple, it was, it was DMs, it was Twitter notifications, it was texts from my friends that know of my hatred for Mondesi. And the first one I saw was a text from my buddy Greg, and he was just like, Mondesi, ha, 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 ha. I'm like, oh, no. I think that, like, what did we do? And I, and I saw the all the reports from Passan and, and all of them, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, granted, we gave up absolutely nothing to get him, so it was like, whatever. But I'm just like, all the players you can go out and get, you go out and get Mondesi. It's just like Bloom trying, trying to stick it to me or something. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's not that, like, we're upset about the return or anything like that. I mean, we gave up Josh Taylor, who is not a major leaguer at this no, point, not. To, to get him. But, um, you know, just the fact that he hasn't played is is a bit hilarious based on how we all felt about him. But I think, to me, when, when I look at the roster construction here, the most glaring thing to me that I wasn't expecting, and you guys can tell me if I'm crazy here, but... I wasn't expecting the team to be as bad defensively as they've been this year. That's the thing that's kind of stood out to me above everything else. Like I knew that there was a risk that the starting pitching wouldn't be very good. Um, I thought the bullpen would be better, but I still thought that there were some holes in there. So that didn't shock me. And we complained ad nauseum about what they were doing in the middle part of the infield. But the defense, man, I, I was not expecting it to be this bad. Um, 
So I did, um, and I actually. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't a victory lap. I do have it in our in our preseason preview. We did a roundtable, and there was just this. It was mainly shortstop, right? And I wasn't sure about center field, but but my thought was that up the middle is the most important part of you know d- defensively second short and center and this was before you know I know Duran has made some improvements but we were looking at Duval who had only played a small number of games in center field at the time we were looking at Kike Hernandez who hadn't played more than like 10 games at shortstop in like six years I think leading into that season and as a a 32 year old playing it short for the first time uh as as a starter um and then at second base just kind of the unknowns there i mean you know arroyo being a decent defensive second baseman but not knowing if he would be able to stay on the field uh i would say defense was a concern of mine going into the year um but just generally what they had at those positions was just such an unknown um i mean if you want to consider catcher part of that then I think that, that that defensively has gone above expectations, but second short and center was, was my concern. And I yeah. think Wong has certainly exceeded expectations there, and we weren't even sure if he was going to make the team right out right. of uh, yep. training camp. So Or training camp, Jesus. Spring training. Football's getting on my mind at this point. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, so, Eric, let's let's go to you. When if you think back to preseason, looking at this roster before the season started, what was your biggest concern heading into the season? Yeah, definitely up the middle uh, for sure. I mean, going into the year, like, I was like, all right, we're not going to have much of story and Mondesi here. So, like, who fills in? And it's been an absolute revolving door for the most part to the point where we're now starting Luis Urias and Pablo Reyes who had that on their 2023 Boston Red Sox bingo card uh, for the middle of August but you know like I said earlier the offense as a whole has exceeded my expectations I think they'd be I didn't think they'd be terrible by any means but you know Yoshida's been good Turner's been, you know, been decent Devers is, is doing Devers things Cassis is coming into his own like we all hoped he would Duran same thing so that is has surprised me but yeah, the, the defense. Well, I didn't think it'd be you know terrible. I didn't think it'd be good either. It, it just has been lackluster. You see a lot of just you know, I can't think of any better word than boneheaded moves out out in the field. And maybe that speaks to the lack of leadership on this team. I'm not sure. I can't really you know. I don't know. But it, it kind of feels that way just just from where I'm sitting right now. And then obviously you know the, the pitching in general. I mean, going into the year. I mean, I was. You know, it's like, all right, I like Bayo. I hope he can come into his own. He has. You know, Paxton's been all right since he came back. Pavetta's been up and down. Cutter Crawford's kind of been, you know, sneaky, d- decent here. But you look at this rotation and just the pitching staff as a whole, and, I mean, it it's not – you just look at it, and if you didn't look at the roster by itself and didn't look at the record or anything that's happened this year, like, would you think, just looking at the depth chart, that this is a – postseason caliber like a team that could go deep in into the playoffs and and no like we only have two guys in this bullpen that were in this bullpen last year and that's that's uh let's see who was uh, Witkowski and and Schreiber like everyone else was acquired either in the offseason or you know it's at some point during this season including you know Nick Robertson and Denilson Lamette and Bernardino even though, you know he's been pretty solid but you know it's just there were so many question marks and and some of them have gotten better, but there's still 
a lot of question marks on this teams. And so I'm not surprised that we're having this discussion here two thirds of the way through the season. Yeah, I think those are all good points there. And I, I agree with you that the lineup has certainly exceeded my expectations. And I had pretty high expectations for Yoshida as a hitter, but I probably wasn't expecting him to still be hitting 307 uh, yeah. in the middle of August of his rookie year. So that's really good. Um, this second point by Jared is is that the team was killed by being abandoned at the trade deadline. And to this, I say absolutely true. And I had a hot take here. My hot take is that I guarantee that this team does not get swept by the Blue Jays if they added at the deadline. I think that this team is incredibly emotional. We've seen it with the ups and downs. And like, like you said, Bob, I mean, just when you think they're down and out, they claw back. And just when... You know, you think they're riding a hot streak, they fall apart. And I think that this served as an absolute gut punch to the team. And I also think that the Verdugo meltdown, whatever happened behind the scenes with him, I don't buy for a second that it was just being late. Um, I think that he's a very emotional player. I think that he was impacted by being involved in trade rumors. Um, And, you know, I, I just generally think that Heim Bloom killed the season by treating the trade deadline the way that he did. What do you guys think about that? Um, yeah, yeah, go, yeah, go ahead, ahead Eric. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, no, I, I I'm, I'm with you, Jake. I I just I think there was an opportunity there, um, and I think like I don't know what speaks to me is just Raphael Devers talking a week before the deadline about feeling like they needed help and specifically calling out pitching that may be from him that may be from everyone else and and him being the leader of of the team at this point who they have invested in long term with a 10-year deal kind of speaking for the group you know we've got it we've got a tired bullpen we've got we've been watching openers and bullpen games for months at this point how can you be a big market team and have as many bullpen games as they've had this year? And, and I think that that was kind of, he was speaking for the rest of the clubhouse. Like we need a little bit of help here. And I just, I, again, I don't think it had to be a major move, but I think it was just kind of a shot at all of them. And they haven't going into Monday, they haven't won since, right? I think they won the, the night of the trade deadline and they haven't won after that. So it, it's hard to, it's hard for me to think that they would have had, had this much of a lackluster effort if they had, um, you know, a little bit more pitching over the weekend, and the team believing and the management believing in the team, and they hadn't been reading quotes about being underdogs, and uh, having a twenty five percent chance that some robot spit out on fan graphs. <laughs> um, I just I, I I have trouble believing that they would have put that kind of effort in. And then Saturday just had such a weird feel to it with Verdugo being scratched and not available at the end of the game and then the runner getting doubled off to end it. And it was just, that was sickening. And then to see them come out on Sunday with even less effort um, or lesser performance. Half the time, I don't know if it's effort or just, you know, that they're throwing their their B bullpen for the entire game, which is what it was on Sunday. And, getting down early yeah I think you think you definitely hit it on the head like this whole season has kind of felt like let's throw a bunch of shit against the wall and see what sticks kind of mentality and that's just not a method for success and 
Yeah, like, okay. Kind of go back to what I was saying earlier. Like, I, I just wonder about the leadership in this. You know, I think Devers. You know, he's not that loud. Like, yell rah rah. Like, we we haven't had that since. You know, I mean, even Mookie to a degree, he was kind of that leader mentality. But we've really been lacking that since since Poppy left. And you know, we kind of got used to that for so long. Having Poppy here for what was it, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years, whatever it, it was, and so we kind of got used to having that guy that was always like, you know, if you if you weren't hustling out, like he'd call you out in the dugout, like not in a bad way, but like obviously in like that good leader way. And this, I don't see that heart from, from this team. And yeah, we have some decent veterans on the team, like Justin Turner. But I, I just don't know. And it's, it's not necessarily me calling out Cora. I like Alex Cora. I don't think it's a, a him thing. I think it's more so like having that on-the-field leader that's you know wearing the uniform, playing the game every night. And I just don't think we, we have that. And they didn't go out. And obviously, that's not something you can just you know find lickety-split at the deadline or something. But... Again, just seeing them, like the biggest move we made was Luis Urias, a guy that fell out of favor in Milwaukee, you know, a guy that was never even like that good to begin with. His best year was like, all right, you know, a couple of years ago. But it's, it's just really disheartening to to be so close and then just them not do anything to kind of get us closer to where we want to be. And if they don't think we're there because of the fan graphs thing or whatever percentages looking at, all right, then you, then you could have sold off Paxton or whatever. If you, if that's the method you want or the route you wanted to go, they didn't even do that. It's just another kind of like just sitting there, you know, you're doing the doggy paddle, not really making any progress, and that's just two years in a row of this now, so it's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, that last part is the thing that got me the most fired up. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, Heim defenders, Heim Bloom defenders on Twitter were taking victory laps after uh, the, the sweep to the Blue Jays because they'll literally cling to any little piece of shred of evidence that, you know, is is pro Heim. And they'll twist themselves into pretzels to do this, too. It's really amazing to watch. But Heim defenders were like, Okay, they got swept, so he was right for not adding to the team. And to that, I say this is complete bullshit. If he was so confident that they weren't going to go anywhere, then he should have fucking sold Paxton, Verdugo, Turner, (laughs) and Duvall, and everybody else on this team who has a one-year deal who has value right now. If Haim was so omniscient that you know he knew that this team was about to get swept by the Blue Jays, then he should have done that. It's so ridiculous to me. That is the the biggest straw man argument I've ever heard in my life. No, it, it absolutely is. It's like Bloom can do no wrong. No matter what he does or what he doesn't do, he can just do no wrong to, to the Bloom supporters out there. And so I, I give him credit for, you know, I, I over getting the farm system back up and running. But, you know, at some point you got to use the farm and just do something like, like, like I, I always say in fantasy baseball world, like the worst place you want to be is in the middle with no direction. And that's where we are. We are. We're in the middle. We're middle of the pack, major league franchise right now, with no direction in sight, or at least none that I can see. Yeah, um, I want Heim Bloom to come to my fantasy baseball league because I would absolutely <laughs> destroy him. Absolutely, you would. I think we've talked about you know a, a little bit. You know, on our Slack and all of that, that is like there. There are good things that High and Bloom does, and that we give yep. him credit for. And Eric, you mentioned the farm system, and yes, that that is now in a place where they can start to pull from. I'm surprised that this wasn't the first year that they did that. And I, I know I said this last week, but after having a couple good drafts in a row, and it's you know you're not asking for them to send a top five 
prospect. And if if you did want a cost control pitcher like Aaron Savale, who you know wasn't who I would have considered that, Tampa Bay sent out Kyle Manzardo. And Kyle Manzardo and Tristan Cassis were kind of close on a lot of the offseason rankings. I know that Manzardo has had a bad, a, a rough year, right? But that's what you were going to have to give up for cost control pitching. Was he offering any of those top two or three prospects? I doubt it. So you had to go from that 6 to 15 range and make a deal, and you still would have been okay. And we won't go over you know, the 40-man roster crunch and everything else is going on in the offseason. That's going to happen again because he didn't get ahead of it, and teams are going to see, oh, you have to protect all of these players ahead of the Rule 5 draft, or you have to get rid of them. You're going to have to sell low. And it's something that he did with Ben Benintendi, and if, if the Verdugo thing continues, it seems like they've tried to get rid of him, he's going to have to sell low on Verdugo to get rid of him. Um, losing players in the rule five draft last year there's just a lot there is no aggressiveness it's a very passive almost procrastinating kind of thing like we'll put this problem off till tomorrow and hopefully it settles itself out and it it hasn't so far that's the thing you can't tell me that if if this team is so confident in not buying into verdugo's future on this team like I don't think there's any chance in hell that they give Verdugo a contract extension. I think when he's gone, he's gone, and I think probably they trade him here in the offseason. But if, if that's the case and you really aren't confident in the guy and you're thinking about keeping Adam Duvall instead of Verdugo, it's crazy not to trade him to a team that does believe in what he's done because as he himself has stated multiple times, he had an all-star caliber first half of the season, and he was. He was close. But, like... The idea that, you know, you're just going to stand pat with Verdugo and then, you know, not play him and all these different things that are going on with the discipline and involving him in trade rumors, like all this stuff just drove him nuts. And I I think it's just an example of exactly what you said, how pushing this problem, quote unquote problem down the road, just further and further, just makes the problem worse and devalues your asset in the process. Yeah, no, I, I think you hit it right in the head, and I, and I love that we're talking about trying to get rid of the player that was the main piece back in the Mookie Betts trade. Like, you do you think that the fact that Verdugo was the main piece back is the reason why this, they're kind of like hesitant to really do anything with him? Is then that would be basically them admitting that they didn't do well in in that venture with trading Mookie Betts? A hundred percent. That's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm like, yeah. If if it was if we had gotten Verdugo just like as a free agent or like literally any other deal outside of trading, possibly the best all around player this franchise has ever had. When you factor in defense, base running, and all that, you know, he's definitely up there. And the fact that you got an underwhelming return at the time that has just, I mean, yeah, Connor Wong has worked out okay, but like that was like the third piece at the time. Like it was like Verdugo, that it was Jeter down, so obviously he's been a colossal disappointment, and I think hasn't hit over 200 since ever uh, since we got him pretty much and obviously he's down with the, with the Nationals now but the fact that Verdugo like was that guy and were they expecting him to be Mookie Betts no but I think the and he, he hasn't been terrible by any means I'm not saying that but the fact that he just hasn't really I think been quite what they had hoped for when they got him and I think that's just why they're like hey we don't want to admit failure that we didn't do well in that deal and that's kind of why it's been kind of been dragging out it's fascinating where Verdugo you know, if, if his pace continues 
you send that out another third of the season, he's going to be exactly where he has been for, um, you know, every season with the Red Sox. You've been saying that all year long too, Bob. That's the funniest thing to me is like every time Verdugo's gotten hot or gotten cold, I've gotten a text from Bob on the side that's like, you know, he's going to finish exactly where he was last year. (laughs) And I think you're going to be 100% right, man. It's on pace to be between 11 and 13 homers, which is what he had the last two years, between 75 and 85 runs, between 65 and 75 RBIs, and he's going to hit 275 to 280. And he's going to be a two to two and a half war player, and he's fine. It is remarkable if you look at his baseball reference or Fangraphs page. Just every season's been the same. So this was where he could have taken the leap. He didn't. We know who he is. I think other teams know who he is now. Um, so you either got to go another year, or you're going to have to sell low, and they're going to have to make that decision in the off season because. I mean, if Core is the manager, right? If Core is the manager next year, it's it's hard to see, you know, another year of him kind of riding him and saying we need Alex to take the leap, right? That was this year. Yep. Yeah, uh, and and I, you know, anybody that knows me knows I'm an old soul, and I don't like you know all these you know young kid terms these days. But Verdugo is the most mid player I've ever seen in my entire life. Like he's like he's fine. Like like Bob said, he's fine. He's not bad. He's not great. He's just like the most middle of the road baseball player I think I've ever, not even just Red Sox, that I've ever seen in my entire life. It's ridiculous. I'm I was such a cl- boomer that I just heard mid for the first time like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm right there with you. And I, 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 cr- I cringe all these terms, but I'm like, this one, it, it fits like perfectly. <laughs> I was going to name him the metronome of mediocrity. Yes, it's, exactly. It's his nickname for me. Um, so the last point here that Jared gives as a reason for uh, the, the death of the Red Sox was injuries. And this is where I actually uh, disagreed with Jared. I, I thought that that was being a little bit generous um, because every team in the league deals with injuries. And my, my biggest problem with this was that the guys who have been injured on this team, Whitlock, Arroyo, Mondesi, who hasn't played a game, Story, who we knew was hurt, Friggin' Chris Sale, who's literally never not hurt. Um, you know, and I put in here a note, see roster construction for more details. You were constructing your roster with guys who have just a lengthy history of not being able to stay healthy. So sorry if I don't feign being shocked when these guys get hurt or don't produce. Um, you built this roster out of players, some of which... The ones we just mentioned are made of glass. So when these guys break, I'm not shocked. So I don't give that as an excuse. What do you think about that, Bob? I'm trying to find the um, Eno Saris article, which I can't remember what it's called. It's oh, the one back. where he was talking about how they were like the the uh, lowest floor, but like a mid-ceiling. Yeah, with Chad yeah. Jennings, right? Yep. I know what you're Here talking about. Here it is. Projections about. show the Red Sox as a team of extreme possibilities for good and bad. And then outlined that they have the widest range of outcomes based on, you know, projections and whatever else, right? But previous injuries, players that have the biggest discrepancy in terms of what their ceiling and their floor were, but so much of that had to do with injury because the 
the 0% outcome is that they're not on the field. And there was so much of that that was built into this team going in. Um, I think every preseason podcast that we had in February and March was just to figure out which of the injured players are going to, pitchers are going to come back, who's ready for opening day, who's ready for mid-April. Um, you know, they didn't have five of the, they needed five starters out of seven and they couldn't get five healthy for opening day. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you that I, I think that that was called out in articles even before spring training started, just kind of what the level of risk was with putting the, the roster together. I think it's total crap to be honest with you. Like, can I just list off some, uh, injured pitchers for the Tampa Bay Rays? Uh, Shane McClanahan, Drew Rasmussen, Jeffrey Springs, and oh yeah, Shane Boz as well, along with Josh Fleming, Andrew Kittredge, and oh, uh, are they still in a good spot in the division? Yeah, I think they they're are. Whole like, rotation. Yeah, exactly. I think they're going to put Zach Eflin in, in you know, big bubble between starts down. Same with Glasnow, who's also just missed his last start as well. So and missed time earlier in the season coming back. So you know, every team deals with this crap, some more than others, but. It's not like we lost Devers for a week. And yeah, would it be would we be better off with Chris Sale in this rotation for the entire year? Absolutely. But like you said, Jake, we knew, it's not like these are like new injuries and we're like you know these once durable players are now all of a sudden missing time. We knew this with many of these guys. Like a lot of these guys have had multiple injuries. You know, several injuries over the last handful of years, and including our quote unquote ace who. You know, as I think, how many starts has he even made for us? Has he even passed like the fifty start threshold for us at this point? I, I don't even know. He's probably right in that range. So I think we, he has at this point. But yeah, it's close. Yeah, it's, but it's like we knew all these going in. It's not that we're like, oh, Chris Sales hurt. That's a shocker. Like, you know, we we say that, but with like some, a lot of sarcasm attached to it. But it's it, all these teams are dealing with injuries, and I think you can't just sit back and be like, oh, well, there's injuries. Oh, oh well. I mean, this is why you 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 build depth, and that was another issue with this team is that there wasn't a lot of depth, and there still isn't, and that's why you know when we don't have our mid, starting middle infield, we're starting you know guys like Pablo Reyes and and Luis Urias and guys like that because we had no depth, and that's something that's been really lacking for a while now in in this organization. What is your guess, Eric, of how many starts Chris Sale has made from 2017 to 2023? I want to see if you can get it. Okay, I, I feel like I was low on the 50. I, that's just me being frustrated. But uh, <laughs> You were low. You were low. It can't be triple digits yet, can it? I don't yeah. know. You tell me. I mean, he made just there. I'll say, I don't think it's triple digits. I'll say like 94. 106. He got into oh, triple okay. digits. He got triple digits. But so and that's over that's over what? Uh, six well, five yeah, and five and a third seasons. Yeah. Oh, no, six six and a third seasons. It's six. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's six. So um, that's an aver- average of what quick math, like seventeen ish starts a year. Yeah, that's it's what, actually a little for. under six seasons because uh technically twenty twenty three is still going on and he's on his way back. So yeah, and and the nice thing about sale is like Bob and I have pointed out on this show, um we never complain about Chris Sale on this show. Like we get frustrated that he's injured, but like when Chris Sale's on the mound, he's Chris Sale, and he's got a three point two three ERA with elite strikeout to walk ratios in the time that he's here, and he was awesome this year uh, before he got hurt. And I think you know, based on the rehab starts that he's having, like he'll probably be good again when he gets back. So it just it sucks, Chris Sale. Like he's. 
you feel bad for the guy. He's accountable when he's out there. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I wish he could stay healthy. But, yeah, it's a bummer. That's yeah, interesting. 3.23 ERA with the Red Sox with a, a, against a 3.08 career ERA. Um, not that far off when no, he's on he's, the field. He's good. He's good. Um, somebody who hasn't been on the field, though, is Trevor Story. And we have to talk about him because, Bob, you me- you mentioned this to me last week as you know the weekend series started to creep up and Trevor Story still wasn't announced. And, you know, we expected him Friday and then I kind of thought he'd come back Saturday and he didn't. Um, and he's not going to take the full 20 days. Apparently, he's going to take like 18 or 19 of the 20 days. But this is per Pete Abraham about his rehab assignment. This is from his article today. The hope was for Trevor Story to play against the Blue Jays in his return from elbow surgery, something he said was his goal. But Story instead elected to stay with AAA Worcester through Wednesday. We know that that's now changed now uh, to Tuesday. Story has an 11 uh, 17 OPS over 13 games and 48 plate appearances in the minors since July 21st. Uh, he was two for three with a double, a homer, and two walks on Sunday and played seven innings at shortstop, but he doesn't feel that he's ready. And this is a quote from Cora. We have to respect the fact that he feels this way, Cora said. He's the only guy who can tell you how it feels. It's not on us to assume that he should be okay, and that's the way I see it. But Cora is showing respect for a veteran player, and the manager should do that. But Story had 59 plate appearances in spring training in 2019 with the Rockies, 60 in 2018. What will happen in two more games with Worcester that can't happen with the Sox? I asked if the expectation was for Story to be in the lineup on Thursday, and Cora said, let's see where we're at. So, Bob, I'm going to go to you first on this, because this is something that you've been tracking pretty closely what the hell is going on here with Trevor Story and his obsession with getting plate appearances as the team is literally falling apart and he is one of the highest paid players on this team? Yeah, I continue to see people point to how many spring training plate appearances at bats, um, you know, to get prepared for the season. My understanding is that there are not games going on while you're doing that in March. And you're not watching a sinking ship on television at the positions that you play um, while that's happening. Meanwhile, you're down in the minor leagues hitting really well. Um, I just, with what he is being paid, um, with the amount of time that he, and the number of games, you know, I, I see a week, I see 10 days, I can totally understand that. Um, but to basically take the full 20 and say, like, you know, I don't really feel that I'm ready yet is just surprising to me. Um, and I just think back to Bryce Harper. and I know that it's not apples to apples. Bryce Harper is a freak. And I don't think that, like, you know, we should compare, um, you, you know, 160-day rehab from Tommy John surgery before he was back, right? So he blew everyone else out of the water. That's not – however – he did not go on a rehab assignment. He was right back out there when he got cleared medically to play with a brace on playing DH. Um, it seems to me that that just was never an option, never a discussion going back to some of the comments back in July is that, no, I'm, I'm going to be coming back as a shortstop and very emphatic about that. 
Um, Bryce Harper, the first time that he was out on the field, just after that 160 days when he was playing first base, was diving head first in the photographer's well to catch a pop-up. Um, so again, you know, I'm making the comparison, but, but at the same time, it's just that that lack of urgency in August um, when this team is not playing well and then, you know, seeing that the team is not playing well and then extending it out a few more days, it's just hard for me to fathom. I don't know, just maybe competitive thoughts in my head. If I'm watching my team, I'm thinking, all right, what do I need to do to get out there, especially uh, as a veteran and one of the, you know, someone that came in with the contract that he got, um, you know, I, I, I just think there needs to be some accountability there and he needs to be out there with the team. Do you agree with that, Eric? I mean, oh, you, you cover the whole boy. league, but I mean, in, in terms of guys who have come back from injuries, you know, can you talk about maybe how this fits in compared to some of the other stars? Yeah, no, the Harper one is a great one. And we've seen Harper, you know, obviously he has that mentality. He has that bulldog mentality that you know, I want to get back out there as soon as possible to help out my team. And, you know, I, I hate to speak to what's between the ears of a player, but I've just I haven't seen that with Trevor Story ever. I mean, he's been you know, a pretty good ball player for a while, and obviously has some some good years out there in Colorado. But it's never seemed like he was like the guy that would kind of step up and be be a leader of this team. And that's another thing. Like our highest paid players, I mean, also you know Devers, like we're not these guys aren't leaders. I mean, Chris Sale is not a leader. You know, Trevor Story is is not a leader. And I, I get I don't know. I mean, I can't again. I, I'm not him. I don't know how the elbow is feeling. But you figure he's doing very well. It's like he's struggling. He's hitting very well. He has a, a slug over 700 in, in his rehab stint here. And again, like, like what you mentioned, what is he gaining from? He's playing short. It's like he's playing DH. Like, what's he gaining from doing it in Worcester or doing it, you know, 90 miles away in Boston? You know, it's it, it's just kind of odd, especially with that big series. It's not like it's like it's not like it's right now. It's like all right, we're facing Kansas City and then Detroit. Like, all right, take another few days. Like these aren't good teams, but. To not come back for that Toronto series, it, it was definitely a head scratcher, and I, and I don't want, I don't want to you know put too much blame on him because again I don't want to you know we don't know exactly what's going on with with him, but it definitely from from afar was definitely very head scratching to me. I know what's going I, on. He's got a thousand OPS and says that his elbow feels good at shortstop. <laughs> so what am I missing? We got to take know. some X-rays, guys. We got to see how much of that dog is in him. I don't think it's a lot. It's it's a uh, not not even a chihuahua. It's a chihuahua has spunk. Like what's this like a, uh, I don't know, like it's, a mini it's, a poodle? I, I don't know. It's a pomeranian. Oh, it's, it's a pomeranian. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like this like cool like dog. This is like so chill and that has like no like spunk to it. Like yeah, poodle, pomeranian, something like that. Yeah, something something. It's not good. But yeah, just before we move on here, I have uh, three facts about Bryce Harper that I'd like to read to you guys. Okay, so fact number one, when he went in for Tommy John surgery, he declined anesthesia and did it completely awake with no pain medicine, telling the doctors how to do the surgery. No, that was a Chuck Norris fact from like 20 years ago. So, <laughs> Fact number two about uh, Bryce Harper, he eats raw steak for breakfast every day. Fact number three, his favorite beverage is milk in a dirty glass. <laughs> Are these real? Nope, I just made him up. I mean, yeah, I was gonna I mean, say you're you're doing a Chuck Norris bit. 
<laughs> the, the the raw steak one though is believable. Like I can totally see him that's like gnawing on a piece of raw steak at, at his breakfast table. I can I can see that 100. percent Oh yeah, oh yeah. He he's uh, he's uh, definitely a, a rare steak guy. That's for sure. Let's get to uh, some players, though. Denilson Lamette was added to the 26-man roster today. Richard Blyer was DFA'd. Um, first, Eric, Denilson Lamette. This is a throwback name from the Padres days. You've probably written countless articles uh, way back in the day about Denilson Lamette's fantasy value. Do the Red Sox have anything, anything here with him at this point in his career? Uh, short answer, no. I, I, I don't see it uh he has not been good for a, a while now i mean this year alone i mean yeah it was colorado but it was an 11.57 era in two three four whip uh, the dude walks everything under the sun i mean i, I could have seen them taking like you know him as like a, a project like a reclamation project like i don't know three maybe four years ago 2019 2020 something like that but at this point like we know that Lametta is, and it's not good. So I don't know what they're trying to do. I don't know what they're seeing in, in Denilson Lamette, a guy that again has not been good in quite some time now. He's given up 33 runs and 22 walks and 25 and two thirds innings this year. I I don't know how he helps this team. You know, maybe he's a, a mop up guy, but we already have a few of those. It, I just <laughs> I don't see like why we got him and, and what he adds to this team moving forward it's another head scratcher yeah that was the thing that was kind of befuddling to me about it too was like you look at his numbers at triple a worcester and it's not like he's been tearing it up he's got 19 and a third innings there uh 26.7 percent home run to fly ball rate uh and so even though he's got a 3.72 era he's got a 5.72 fip um so if you're not able to dominate at triple a you know as a 30 year old who was uh, a former ace-like pitcher when he was completely healthy um yeah that's that's a little concerning to me sure is yeah just another move that i just don't see how it helps this team at all um bob my question for you is what are your final thoughts on the richard blyer experiment and why didn't the red sox go for a guy who's doing a whole lot better down there at triple a and kyle bearclaw um. Oh, that's a really good question. All right, so there's, <laughs> there's two questions there. Um, with Blyer, I I don't know. I mean, he he has had a few decent years leading into this, so I don't think that it was a terrible signing. Um, but the four point seven K per nine, it's rare that you see that in the fours. Um, and he really just kind of. Ended up in a, in a role where they couldn't pitch him in high leverage, and he kind of was coming into some of the low leverage um, scenarios and games, you know, behind some of those bullpen games that he got into, and they would get behind, and he'd come in with base runners on. Um, so I don't know that he was totally set up for success in some of those outings, but at the same time, he didn't pitch in a way that uh, he should have been rewarded in high leverage you know it was i think back to the tampa series at the very beginning of the year and the game i think it was the fourth game of that sweep from tampa and uh, he was in there when they really poured it on they had like a seven or eight run inning and they were bunting on him and they were just 
everything was finding a hole where none of them were even hit hard. And he was out there for that. It just seemed like he was out there for a lot of those outings, even though he did have plenty of shutout innings. It was just a lot of times where it was like the game got out of hand when Blyer was out there. Um, Sounds like you're going to miss him a lot. <laughs> no, I mean, he threw... I, I said earlier today that if, if he showed up in our over-30 men's league this weekend that I don't think anybody would say, you know, all right, this guy's going to blow us away. You know, I would say we can hit this guy. Well, let me answer the Kyle Bearclaw one for you because I knew I threw you a curveball uh, with, with that one. Looking at the numbers from Bearclaw and Denilson Lamette, um, Bearclaw has 42 innings pitched at AAA as a 33-year-old who was a lifetime reliever who's now converting to a starting pitcher. And uh, he has a 2.57 ERA, which looks a whole hell of a lot better than what Denilson Lamette was doing. But if you look at his XFIP, it's actually worse than Lamette's at AAA. It's a 5.87. So obviously not striking out a lot of guys there, uh, walking a lot, and quality of contact has been horrendous. So I think um, the true answer here is both of these guys are garbage and probably not worthy of being in the major leagues right now. So my answer there was just going to kind of be that Lamette might be an easy... They've kind of rotated through that spot, and that might be an easier cut um, as they've done with, you know, Faria and some of those other names, and that, that Bearclaw is going to be the next one. Um, that it might be a temporary stay. I'm not sure, but it's interesting that they've started, uh, both of them in the minor leagues. You know, that Lamette has had... A lot of five-inning outings, and Barraclaws had five- and six-inning outings, and they were relievers before they got here, at least recently. Yeah, it is interesting. I don't know what that's all about, converting these relievers to starters. But, hey, um, you know, Richard Blyer, happy trails to you and your 5.28 ERA. Um, Next point here, uh, we're going to move on to uh, Whitlock and Hauk. So, Eric... Whitlock is coming back likely as a reliever, a multi-inning guy, which is, you know, a role he's thrived in in the past. Houck, after getting hit with the comebacker and having surgery, he's going to come back again as a starter. Um, first of all, what was your take on Whitlock and Houck coming into this season? Who did you want to start? Who did you want to be a reliever? And do you agree with these decisions now? You know, first and foremost, I just want them to pick a role for each of these guys and stick with it. This is the thing I've been kind of shouting from the rooftops for the last couple of years now. It's like they're jerking them back and forth here, and yeah, they've had some injuries and that can factor into it, but I'm just worried that we're going to end up you know, ruining both these guys, maybe not to the effect that we ruined Daniel Bard a decade or so ago, but I just wish they would just leave these guys in a role and, and pick a role and just leave these guys in it. And, you know, in general, I think Witty would be a better starter and I kind of think Hauk would be, like, a really good back-end bullpen guy. Like, you know, got it. maybe could even close out games or just pitch high leverage, 7th, 8th inning situations. You know, be a guy that racks up a lot of holds and set up Kenley. That's what I thought Hauk could be. Like, obviously, we've, we've seen the stuff. It's nasty. And, you know, but second, third time through, like, he gets pretty inconsistent. So that's kind of why I leaned reliever for, for Hauk. And then Witty has the more kind of dynamic arsenal, the more well-rounded arsenal. So that's why I lean starter. But at this point, I don't even care. Just pick a role, let them stay in it. And and I don't want to ruin two of our, 
our better arms, like two of our top like four or five arms on this team, just moving them back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, I'm I'm not surprised they're doing this again. And it'll probably be different coming in spring training next year. I bet you Witty will be back. Like, oh, we're going to stretch him out as a starter in spring training. And maybe how we can bring him out of the bullpen. Who knows with, with these two. But it's just frustrating to see them kind of be so indecisive with, with these two arms. Year to year, month to month, even week to week, it seems like. Well, there's that there's that word again with uh, Heim Bloom and Co. Indecisive. I agree mm-hmm. with you. It's the, it's the roles that are uh, always in flux with these two. Um, Bob, I know you've been a big proponent of Whitlock as a starter here. Anything changed with you? I mean, now that the team has announced that they're bringing him back as a reliever? Yeah, I mean, like you said, long-term, you know how I feel about it. I think that it was just looking at the calendar and saying, okay, we can send Whitlock out on a rehab assignment when he hasn't thrown a pitch in a game in over a month and we can build him up over four or five starts, or we can get him here within a week to ten days. Uh, throwing an inning or two out of the bullpen and knowing that there are other starters that are coming back that'll be more ramped up than he is. Um, so I think this season it was just a game of numbers and the calendar and saying what fits best for needs on this team in the month of August. Um, you know, that urgency that I mentioned earlier that they didn't have um, trying to get sail back before he's totally built up because he can throw longer than an opener can. Um you know, getting Whitlock back to give them some innings in August. Um, so, yeah, you know, I feel the same long-term, but I, I get it this year. You know, we need innings now. Yeah, yeah. I, I flipped on it, um, although I agree Whitlock has the better starter's repertoire. I just think that health is going to get in his way too much, so I want him to be in the bullpen going forward. He's been excellent there, so... That's kind of where I want to see him, and and I'm okay, especially with the way that this team's rotation is set up, gambling with uh, Hauk in the starting rotation, um, and continuing to see if he can work on mixing his pitches, because we did see some of that happen this year before he got hit with the comebacker. I think he was on his way to having his best season as a starter, so hopefully he can maintain that momentum. Uh, a couple other transactions, and uh, you know these are kind of quick hitters. So give me your thoughts on these guys if you have any. Arroyo was DFA'd uh, and cleared waivers, so he's back with the team. And Nick Robertson, one of the new trade additions from the Dodgers, was added to the team. Joe Jakes was optioned. Any thoughts on either of those guys? I mean, not <laughs> not not a whole lot. I mean. Christian Arroyo, just another one of the let's throw it against the wall and see what sticks. A guy that's just, you know, a, a journeyman backup guy, a guy that's never had more than three hundred plate appearances in the season, which is actually last year for us. And I mean, I, I don't mind Arroyo as as a bench guy, but this is a guy that was being relied upon to start some games for us, which kinda I think showed the the state of how bad going but going back to what Bob said, how bad like that up the middle was for this team and has been for basically the entire season and for the last couple of years, uh, outside of obviously when, when we had Bogart. So it's, uh yeah, I, I, uh, it's just another another bad kind of situation, and, and Royal kind of shows how bad we've been at that spot. I, I, I think it's great that Arroyo cleared waivers because I don't think that yep. was on our radar um, when we were talking about who has options and making a difficult decision. It didn't cross my mind that Arroyo could end up back at AAA, and if they end up in uh, a pinch where they need that depth again, 
Or if he has a strong spring next year, he could be back in the in the same spot as a as a backup infielder. Um, you know, I think that that was a that was a tough cut. He's had a bad year, but he had had two decent seasons before that um, in that part time role. So if he's back next year in a part time role or later this year because of injuries, then I think it's great that he cleared waivers. That was not something that I considered. And then with with Robertson, it's just it's the turnstile, right? You got that many. Yeah bullpen games and you got to make 40 man moves and you got to just keep the line moving and he's part of that um i know jake that you're pretty high on uh yovera there but uh i think hopefully he can just be a little <laughs> bit better than, than yovera has been in terms of the uh, relief acquisitions yeah i mean you mentioned it i just have a note on here for the agenda that says yovera is horrendous um <laughs> i have found uh, Yovera, Mauricio Yovera, since he's been here, just frankly offensively bad. Um, we've we've had some bad starting pitchers and bad relievers here, but holy smokes, Yovera, when he comes out, man, he is just throwing up meatballs, um, just absolute meatballs. Listen to these numbers so far: six point nine seven ERA across two teams this year with San Fran in in Boston, 8.92 XERA. This dude is a meatball machine. I love it. It's so bad that Jake is just legit offended by yeah. by his performance. It, it's that, that is really funny. Um, and going back, I, I got a quick uh, Christian Arroyo fact. And I, I do agree, Bob. I, I think Arroyo is fine. It's just kind of like a utility you know, bench guy. I think he's been fine in that role. But... Definitely not as a, as a guy that we have to rely upon to start games here. But I guess who was taken seven picks behind Arroyo, who was taken 25th overall by the Giants back in 2013. Guess who was taken seven picks behind him in that draft? Any, any guesses back in 2013? I don't know. A guy that may or may not just hit 62 home runs last year. Aaron Judge. Aaron was Judge, taken, wow. Was taken seven picks behind Christian Arroyo in that draft. I, I, just, I found that hilarious. Wow. Yeah, I guess uh, those long levers scared some people off. Um, Eric, my next question is for you, and I think that this is a good one, particularly for you, because you do rankings, and uh, you know, you're always kind of keeping a pulse on what's going on with hitters across the league. With Luis Urias, he's a guy who had ranked pretty high uh, at, at second base and third base in, in years past, had a pretty good 2021 um, 2022 was okay as well. Um, but the Red Sox, I mean, I, I didn't expect them to call him up as soon as they did. They pretty much didn't give him any time in the minors. Um, what are your thoughts on him so far? And do you think that he has potential to be the starter for the Red Sox at second base in 2024? I think he could. I mean, outside of them going, you know, signing someone in free agency or going out making a trade, which, you know, I don't have a lot of confidence in, just given what we've seen. I think that they might have made this move with at least giving him the chance, see maybe uh, give him the chance to run with it in spring training next year if he has a good spring, seeing how he does in the regular season. And you know, this is a guy that you know he's had some some decent, not great, and he's never been great, but like he had you know one pretty solid year uh, with Milwaukee back in twenty was it twenty twenty one. 23 home runs, 77 runs scored, 75 RBI, you know, hit two, uh, 249, 345, 445 across the board there. And then obviously has not been quite the same since, but, you know, hits the ball fairly hard. Barrel rate, 8 9%. You 
Now, it doesn't strike out a whole lot. You know, walk rate above 10% each of the last three years. So there, there is something here. And, you know, yeah, he did fall out of rotation, uh, out of favor with Milwaukee, but still only 26 years old, you know, right in that prime you know, age that we all love uh, from these, these ball players. So, I mean, am I expecting him to come in and be an impact player? No, but could he maybe be a, a serviceable, at least a, like a stopgap until all of our middle infield prospects are ready? Sure. Yeah, I could definitely see him being like that one or two year stopgap until. You know, like a Nick York or, or someone like that is ready to take over in, you know, 2025 or so. Yeah, that'd be a great outcome, especially yeah. for getting getting him for the 37th ranked prospect in your system. So I, I'm hoping that that's uh, going to fix the turnstile there at second base. Um, let's go move on to the farm system here, though, because, Eric, I mean, this is sort of what you're known for is your rankings and particularly how you cover minor league players. And you and your co-host on the uh, Toolshed podcast, Chris Clegg, just recently released your top uh, farm systems. And both of you ranked uh, the Red Sox farm system in the top five of your rankings. And that might have been for fantasy. I I don't recall. But um, can you talk about what it is about the Red Sox system that you like so much and maybe a couple players that you want to highlight? And I know that you had the system ranked in the top three, and I think Clegg had it fifth, but both of you guys follow them very closely. You're up in Maine, so you see Portland a lot. He's down in Greenville area, so he sees Greenville all the time. So what kind of guys have you been uh, having your eye on this year? Yeah, no, I, I think that the, that's like the one thing I, I've absolutely given Heim Bloom credit for is this farm system is in a much better spot than it was when he took over. That, that's just that's facts. And no matter how much you might dislike Heim Bloom, you absolutely have to give him a pat on the back for that. No doubt about it. And I think especially this year, like for even for the last few years, even with Bloom, it's been a very you know outside of of Brayon Bayo, it's been a very hitter friendly system. At least in terms of like we look at the top of a lot of their you know prospect rankings out there. You know, obviously we've we've had a bunch of the other guys like Brandon Walter and Chris Murphy come up and you know not do that well at all. And I think these are guys that weren't even really projected to be more than like back end rotation guys anyway. Bale was like the only one that had you know that upside factor to him. And you know it's still to this day a a more so hitter friendly org. But you've had guys kind of like Wilkeman Gonzalez and Luis Perales. Uh, your Donnie Monegro, guys. These guys are still down in the lower level, still down in, in Clegg's area, or even lower than that. They haven't even got up my way yet. So, but just a couple guys that are flashing some upside is, is definitely encouraging. And then, you know, there's still a ton of offensive talent in this system. Obviously, Marcel Mayer leads the way. Roman Anthony is quickly becoming one of the most exciting prospects in all of baseball. You know, Miguel Blyce was that guy last year. Obviously, he's he's hurt right now, and there's been some questions about off the field. But, you know, Sadan Rafaela, you know, yeah, he's very aggressive and maybe isn't the guy that hits for a super high average. But this guy has some sneaky pull-side pop. I saw him a ton. I probably saw Rafaela play 30, 40 times, you know, during his, his time here in AA Portland. And I think his profile is, is kind of fits Fenway. He's got that pull-side pop. He's going to pepper the monster, get a lot of doubles, puts him over the monster, and probably got that could run into 15 to, to 20 home runs a year and plays a, a good center field defense. Like I, and obviously, I know you guys can appreciate this as well. Like I appreciate a good defensive center fielder. Like we've seen you know, Jacoby, JBJ over the years. Like 
we've had a few of those guys here, and I think he could be a guy that he's, he just goes out and gets it. Like, the speed is there. The range is there. So I, I love I love watching him play center field as well. And, you know, maybe someone like Nick York can stick or, you know, Brandon Bonacci. I think Kyle Teal, uh, their first-round pick this past year, though it might not have been sexy, it was a absolutely needed uh, selection at the, at the time. And, you know, even though Connor Wong has been solid this year, like we pointed out earlier in the show, you know, I still I think there's still some you know people up in the air like is Connor Wong the long term guy? Maybe I think he could be at least for the next few years. But like Kyle Teal definitely is that potential guy. So it's just a very exciting system. You know, there's some guys that are getting closer. Like Mayer, maybe we see him. You know, this time next year. You know, maybe you know maybe we even see Rafael a little bit this year and York probably next year as well. And there's like that that next wave of the Bonacci's and the jo- Blaze Jordans and and the Roman Anthony's. So I think there's kind of like that multiple waves coming up over the next few years. And I think Bloom really needs a lot of these guys to perform to kind of justify the the path he's taken this team over the last four years. And I think there's certainly a chance of it. I'll, I'll give him that. So yeah, this farm system is, is definitely in a good spot right now for sure. Um, Eric, you mentioned with Sadon Raffaella that you saw him play a lot and I guess I'm kind of wondering you know I mean we've seen the power recently and we know what he can do defensively what I've read is just about the kind of the chase rate and the inability to take a walk Um, how much of that have you seen how much of a concern do you think that is because it's like you know if he's if he's gonna hit for this power and he's gonna play close to 80 grade defense it's not gonna matter he just has to hit 220 to be you know, strong side platoon type of player, potentially everyday player, if he's offering that defense in a Kevin Kiermeyer kind of way. I mean, did do you did you see the same concerns, or do you think he maybe has improved on that a little bit? No, he's absolutely aggressive. Like this is a guy that he doesn't like to walk that much, and I mean, it's not Mondesi levels or anything like that. Not not to bring Mondesi back into this, but <laughs> yeah, he's always been like a, like a five six percent walk rate, and I think MLB average is like around eight percent. Or so, so I think that's always where he's going to be. You know, be a below average walk rate guy. You know, maybe he's never like a high OBP guy, but at the same time, he does have solid contact skills. So it's it's not like you know we've seen this kind of approach work. Does it work for a long time? Maybe not. But you know, with, given his speed and what he can do on the base paths, I mean, this is a guy that has you know stolen 112 bags in 407 games. Could be a you know a 30 plus steal guy plus that defense, and I think the contact skills are at least there to keep him, you know, 250, 260-ish, you know. I don't okay. think he's a big guy that hits, you know, 220, maybe, you know, if, you know, pitchers expose that aggressiveness, sure. I think that's definitely a, a possible outcome, but given, like, what what you said, Bob, like, what all the other things that he brings to the table, even if he is 220, 230, something like that, given what he can provide you know, on the bases, a little bit of pop here and there, and obviously that that defense in a very crucial spot. Like I, th- I think Red Sox fans are gonna like Sedan Rafael. I really do. Yeah, I want to follow up on that a little bit here, Eric, because I think two of the most exciting players in the system are Rafaela and Roman Anthony. And I know that um, your co-host Chris Clegg has seen a lot of Roman Anthony this year as well. Uh, I wanted to see if you could compare for us a little bit the the profile in the ceiling of Roman Anthony and Sedan Raffaella and what impact they might have. And then also comparing two guys who you've seen a lot and then Clegg has seen a lot in Luis Perales and Wickelman Gonzalez. 
Yeah, let's start start with uh, Roman Anthony there. I mean, the power potential. I mean, he, he and he's still, even though he's already showing that power uh, in in the low minors. Like, there's more on the frame. Like, he kind of reminds me of he's got like that Evan Carter type of build to him, where it's you know still lanky, still got some some room to fill with that frame. So, and if he does that, like, this is a potential. 30 homer, you know, middle of the order type bat, a guy that's shown solid contact skills, you know, the ability to use the entire field that, that can drive it with authority the other way. And, and he's a pretty solid athlete too. He's not, not the athlete that Rafaela is. Uh, so he'll, you know, Rafael might be more of a, you know, provide more value defensively than offensively. Uh, Anthony's probably flip flop of that, you know, that corner outfield type of player, but you know, definitely a guy that, People should be very excited about. I know, like, that people think very highly of him within this organization, obviously, and e- even around baseball. Like, you're seeing a lot of other people, whether people that you know write for you know MLB, other teams, other scouts, just like people outside of like the Boston kind of realm are speaking very highly of you know, of Anthony as well. And you know, Chris has seen him a lot, and, and Chris actually just wrote up a a great article. Uh, I think it was yesterday, day before. Uh, maybe Sunday, I can't remember, within the last few days uh, that you can find on his uh, Twitter, if you still scroll down a little bit, at Roto Clegg, C-L-E-G-G, or if you go to Dynasty thedynastydugout.com, it's probably one of the more recent articles. He did a great in-depth breakdown there, so if you want to get even more excited about Anthony, I'd definitely go check that out for sure. So yeah, another just really exciting player in, in the system, and you know, going over to the, the pitchers there, you know, Perales has been a guy that really popped. You know, this year, like there's, there's always been that little bit of intrigue with him, given what we've seen in the past from him. But this is a guy that can miss bats at a really high clip, got the good fastball. You know, some good secondaries as well. And you're seeing like everything kind of come together this year. Still only 20 years old, just turned 20 back in April, uh, up to high A now. I'll, pro- I'll probably be seeing a lot of him next year. And we're seeing Gonzalez already at Double A and. This is a guy that Gonzalez is going to have a, a a spot on this team, and he's going to provide value to this team. I just I'm still I think it's still up in the air. Is it as a starter or is it as a bullpen arm? Because there are some issues with the command and just the strike throwing ability in general. Like there's no doubting the stuff. Like this guy can miss bats at a super high clip. So again, he's going to have some sort of value to this team. But I think this it's I'm still like very much kind of fifty fifty on the fence with. Is that as a starting pitcher or as a reliever? But yeah, definitely four names that are, are very exciting uh, for the future of this team. That's great stuff right there. So definitely, uh, you know, check out Eric's work and, and Chris Clegg's work as well um, to, to follow along with the Red Sox prospects. Let's move on to a couple of questions here. So as we get a bunch of questions to wrap up the show. Our friend Patty O'D has a few for us. He starts off with the first one. He says, after seeing Reese McGuire's base running blunder, I'm wondering, is this one of the dumbest Red Sox teams? It's a fair question. I've been watching this team since the late 80s, and I swear they make more brainless plays than I've seen in years. Uh, You know, Bob, I want to start with you on this one because you have a, a lifetime of playing and watching baseball is this one of the dumbest Red Sox teams you've ever seen? Yeah, it's bad when you can just think of so many plays that are on just like the not top 10, like <laughs> circulating 
on Twitter the next day is, you know, can, can you believe this happened, right? Can you believe that two guys ran into a double, a triple play on the same play? Can you believe that a catcher has thrown the ball to the triangle for an inside-the-park home run twice in the same year? And it's a different guy both times. Two catchers. Thank you. <laughs> Can you believe that the entire team thought that a walk-off home run was caught at the wall as the third-base coach is waving home the runner who started the play at first? Meanwhile, the guy who gets doubled off at second is basically already at home. There's so many of them, and it's infuriating. And um, I don't know. This is this is a whole other discussion. But it was interesting to see the video circulating last week from 2004 before the Nomar trade and Theo Epstein going on with Remy and Orsillo and explaining why we made this deal because we're a terrible team defensively and we had to shore up this and that. Um, it's funny knowing how poor of a defensive and base running team that this is to the point that it's mocked on social media once a week, um, that nothing was done about it, but that goes back to our discussion an hour and a half ago. Yeah, I, I have to say, I have to chime in here. I do think it's one of the dumbest defensive teams that I've, uh, ever seen in my life. I would even go so far as to say, uh, just period, not even just the Red Sox. It's, uh, it's real bad. Uh, his second question, though, is uh, perfect for you. It's, it's sort of a question. It's sort of a comment, too, though, Eric, and I know that this is something you've noticed as well. He says, it doesn't seem like some fans, and he puts in parentheses, the very online Bluminati, are more into the farm system rankings than the actual major league team. If you have any criticism of his moves, those fans automatically point to the Fangraphs rankings like that ends the conversation. <laughs> Having a highly ranked farm system is great, but you know what's better? A great major league team. So yep. what do you think about Patio D right there talking great about questions. how the Blue Minotti uh, seem to point to those Fangraphs rankings every time the uh, heat gets turned up on Bloom? It's, it's it absolutely is a great question and, and very spot on. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of importance on having a good farm system. I mean, just look at Oakland for the exact opposite of what you don't want to do, where they're a pathetic major league team with a, a bottom 10 farm system. So absolutely, it's important to build a farm. But at the same time, you build the farm to help you, you know, win games at the major league level, whether it's, you know, these guys come up and obviously all these guys aren't like knocking on the door outside of like Rafaela, but you use the farm to build the major league team in some way, shape or form. And it's more so like they want to just hold tight the prospects like, Ooh, look at that. We have the third best, you know, Fangraphs has them as the third best farm system or second best, whatever it was. Okay. That's great. But isn't the, you know, end goal to, win games at the major level and to win championships and be contending every year. I mean, we're not Tampa. Oh no, Tampa Bay is a bad example now, but like, we're not Kansas city. We're not Pittsburgh. Like we're the Boston Red Sox a team that should be in it more often than they're not. And so, yeah, it, it is just like, it's great. I love that we have a great farm. It, it's exciting for the future, but like that's supposed to be helping us at the major league level. And it's just, seems like there's like a reluctance um, at the major leagues have to use the, them to get pieces. And yeah, it's like everyone talks about how good it is. That's great, but that ain't putting wins in the win column right now. 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I just want to draw one other, uh, you know, comparison to fantasy baseball because I, I think in this point it does really uh, – it's a direct parallel. But, you know, when you build up a really good farm system in fantasy baseball, if you're playing Dynasty League, you trade those really good prospects when you feel like your team is ready to contend. Um, and that's exactly what we kind of wanted to see the Red Sox do some of this year because that farm system was so ridiculously stocked to the point where like, we're going to have to do a whole nother show. And I mentioned this last (laughs) week as well, just to talk about all the guys who are rule five eligible that they're going to risk losing for nothing. Um, and and you could have used some of those guys to go out and add something to this team. So yeah, two great questions there. Uh, from Patty O.D. Our next one comes from Black Belt 0207. He says, hey, guys, has Jaron Duran already ascended to become the best slash most valuable player on the Red Sox? And is he an extension candidate this offseason? What do you think about that, Eric? Is he the best player on the team or is that title still go to Rafael Devers? I think it still goes to, to Devers, no doubt. But has he put himself in a position where he could be considered as one of the core members of this team? Absolutely. I, I think him and Tristan Casas have both put themselves in there. Like these are guys that you, you know, want, want to build around. And you know, I think Yoshida can probably be thrown. Obviously, we have him for another what another four years or whatever it is, or another three years at least. So he's another guy you can kind of throw into that mix, and we'll see how they build around him. But you know, Duran, absolutely. I wish they would actually play him versus lefties. Uh, he's actually not bad against lefties, at least not this year. He hasn't been that bad against lefties. So it'd be nice to see them not shy away from using him against lefties. But yeah, absolutely, what, what he brings in center field and you know what he brings on the on the base pass and you know a little bit of a little pop there. And okay, like I mentioned on uh, Toolshed, that we actually just talked about Duran the other day uh, with with Chris Clegg, that he's getting back to being the player that kind of like the player that kind of ascended up rankings and was a highly thought of prospect pre-COVID. Like, remember, he, he was going up through, like, high A, he was tearing it up, you know, and then he tried to really sell it for power, and it took him a few years to kind of get back to being an impact player that, you know, getting back to his roots of being a guy that hits for contact. And he's still hitting for, you know, good power, at least in quality of contact for sure. Um, but, yeah, D- Duran, I've been very, very happy with, with his progress this year. He's a very fun player to watch, and he was when he came up through the minor leagues as well. So it- it's really exciting to see kind of what he's become and, and Cassis as well. And hopefully this is the just the beginning of w- what's to come for these two players, being you know core players for us over the next you know handful of years. Bob, I want to follow up with you on the extension part of this. Um, you know, the the Atlanta Braves are the team that I always think about when I think about uh, sweetheart extensions getting done with uh, some of their best young players. And Ozzie Albies is the one that always sticks out as being sort of the most team-friendly deal I've ever seen. But Duran, you know, we've talked about this a lot on this show this year, that this is sort of the biggest transformation that we have seen from a player in quite some time. So knowing that, do you think Duran would be open to something like that, knowing the depths of sort of uh, how lost he has looked both offensively and defensively in years past? Do you think he's a little bit more of an extension candidate uh, because of how he's seen both the lows and, and the highs? I think Duran would be open to it. I don't think the Red Sox would be because Duran is going to be 27 in a few weeks. Um, and he's not a free agent until 2029, which is crazy to think about. He would be 32 when that happens. And, I mean, you know, it's kind of tough to see him having that same 
speed in his game um, five plus years from now. Um, it's, it's just wild to think because he came up just at a later age as a prospect um, and kind of retained that prospect eligibility for a couple of years as he was coming up and, and down and had some unsuccessful stops. So uh, I, I just don't think that that's something that the Red Sox would pursue. I think that's a great point. Uh, the second question from Black Belt is hard to believe, but Cutter Crawford has been the most consistent of our four young starters with the best stats to this point. He points to his 129 ERA+. plus. Should we be buying into his development? And I guess I'll just take this one first. I think Cutter Crawford absolutely has a fastball with some unique traits, which makes it a really good pitch. And I think his cutter is excellent as well. So uh, certainly one of the best development stories. And I think that it's probably high time for us to start talking about Cutter Crawford when we talk about um, pitching development successes for the Red Sox. We always talk about Bayo being the big one that they've had, you know, when we talk about how long it's been since, you know, guys like Buckholtz and Lester. But I think that Crawford is starting to edge his way into that conversation. Um, what do you think about what he's done so far, Eric? Yeah, no, I, I've been very impressed with Cutter Crawford. And I, I forget if I tweeted about him, wrote about him, spoke on a podcast earlier in the year. It's hard to remember at this point. But I just remember even saying back in like May, you know, May, June, that. I was just really impressed with kind of what he was doing then. Kind of that was right when he was really just starting to get going. Obviously, this year, and you know, he's got the, the dynamic pitch mix there. You know, like you mentioned, the, the fastball has been very, very good. Only a 171 batting average against on it. You know, he, he can miss bats with with various pitches here uh, to the point where he has a you know above average strikeout rate, a better than league average walk rate as well. Like this is a guy that. Is gonna go up there. He's gonna you know avoid the the blow ups. Doesn't give up a lot of hard contact either. So this is a guy that you know not very often will be the guy that gives up like nine runs and two and a third or something like that. And just the fact that he's just so consistent. You know he's never gonna wow you. He's never gonna be like a number two for this team or anything like that. But a guy that can settle in is like a good like number four starter. A guy that can you know just provide stability to a rotation that desperately needs it and. Every team needs a guy like Cutter Crawford in their rotation. Again, is he going to be a reason why you win a World Series? Maybe not, but he's a guy that's going to help you get there and, again, just provide stability for this team. So uh, he's been like kind of one of like, the quiet, shining stars of this team. Like We look at you know Duran and, and Tristan Casas and Yoshida, but Crawford has just been there doing his thing. Three you know, ERA right around three and a half, whip just over one, just doing his thing, and... It's, it's been very pleasant to see. Yeah, absolutely. And those questions were from TJ McPhee. Uh, let's get to our last one, and there's probably no better way to uh, end this show. And, Bob, this is uh, specifically for you. Uh, Paul Krasuski, uh says, I have had a card of Rusty Kuntz in a hard case pinned to my corkboard in my old room at my parents' house for about 25 years now. Best name in the history of sports. So glad you brought him up. This is from Polly in Buffalo. Uh, so just a little bit of a rusty cunts uh, shout out for you, Bob. <laughs> you know, we opened a show talking about Rusty, which I would say is probably the the hottest that we've we've come into a, to a show in quite some time to open with that topic. Um, I always enjoy that reference. 
I appreciate that he changed the pronunciation of his last name in recent years. <laughs> um, and, you know, when he made an appearance as a base coach uh, with those Royals teams that were in the World Series in the mid-2010s, it was just great to see that name front and center uh, on a nightly basis on uh, network television. So, long live Rusty. Uh, and you, you did miss that final question, Jake, that was, do you think that Pablo Reyes's walk-off Grand Slam is going to galvanize the Red Sox team in 2023? No. <laughs> you want to talk about bingo cards, Eric? Did you have that on there tonight? I, I certainly did not. No. Absolutely did not. Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy about it, but yeah, no, I did not. Um, well, I mean, we went a little bit long, gentlemen, hour and 35 minutes into this podcast, but I think anytime we have Eric on the show, uh, we obviously have a lot to talk about. So Eric, it was great to have you on. If you're not following Eric on Twitter, uh, or on X or whatever the hell it's called these days, please do. It's <laughs> Eric Cross 04. Um, he's a great follow on there for all things baseball. Eric, keep doing your work. Keep grinding, man. You're, you're crushing it. And thanks for joining us again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jake. Always uh, and Bob, always appreciate talking with you, gentlemen, and catching up with you, Jake. And thanks for letting me um, rant and, and get the get this out over over the airwaves. It was very therapeutic. All right. Well, it that's brought me what back we're here to the uh, the five tool days. It's good to hear uh, <laughs> both the voices in the same room again. <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's like no time has passed. Yeah, it's 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 always easy to jump back into it. That's for sure. So, Bob, thank you as well. You can find Bob on Twitter at, at BobOzGood15. You can find the Over the Monster account at, at OverTheMonster. And we'll be in your eardrums again next week. Yeah.